Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the 22nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. God of might, giver of every good gift, put into our hearts the love of your name, so that by deepening our sense of reverence, you may nurture in us what is good, and by your watchful care, keep safe what you have nurtured. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Moses said to the people, Now Israel, take notice of the laws and customs that I teach you today, and observe them, that you may have life and may enter and take possession of the land that the Lord the God of your fathers is giving you. You must add nothing to what I command you, and take nothing from it, but keep the commandments of the Lord your God just as I lay them down for you. Keep them, observe them, and they will demonstrate to the peoples your wisdom and understanding. When they come to know of all these laws, they will exclaim, No other people is as wise and prudent as this great nation. And indeed, what great nation is there that has its God so near as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call to him? And what great nation is there that has laws and customs to match this whole law that I put before you today? The Word of the Lord Thanks be to God. The just will live in the presence of the Lord. The just will live in the presence of the Lord. Lord, who shall dwell on your holy mountain? He who walks without fault. He who acts with justice and speaks the truth from his heart. The just will live in the presence of the Lord. He who does no wrong to his brother, who casts no slur on his neighbor, who holds the godless in disdain, but honors those who fear the Lord. The just will live in the presence of the Lord. He who keeps his pledge, come what may who takes no interest on a loan and accepts no bribes against the innocent. Such a man will stand firm forever. The just will live in the presence of the Lord. A reading from the letter of St. James. It is all that is good, everything that is perfect, which is given us from above. It comes down from the Father of all light. With him there is no such thing as alteration, no shadow of change. By his own choice he made us his children, by the message of the truth, so that we should be a sort of first fruits of all that he had created. Accept and submit to the word which has been planted in you, and can save your souls. But you must do what the word tells you, and not just listen to it and deceive yourselves. Pure, unspoilt religion in the eyes of God our Father is this, coming to the help of orphans and widows when they need it, and keeping oneself uncontaminated by the world.
the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. The Father gave us birth by his message of truth, that we might be as the first fruit of his creation. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered round Jesus, and they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with unclean hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees, and the Jews in general, follow the tradition of the elders and never eat without washing their arms as far as the elbow, and on returning from the marketplace they never eat without first sprinkling themselves. There are also many other observances which have been handed down to them concerning the washing of cups and pots and bronze dishes. So these Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not respect the tradition of the elders, but eat their food with unclean hands? He answered, It was of you hypocrites that Isaiah so rightly prophesied in this passage of Scripture. This people honours me only with lip service, while their hearts are far from me. The worship they offer me is worthless. The doctrines they teach are only human regulations. You put aside the commandment of God to cling to human traditions. He called the people to him again and said, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a man from outside can make him unclean. It is the things that come out of a man that make him unclean. For it is from within, from men's hearts, that evil intentions emerge. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, malice, deceit, indecency, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within and make a man unclean. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I once saw a bumper sticker on the back of a car that made me laugh. It said, some people are only alive because it's against the law to kill them. (laughs) I suppose in our weaker moments we can all sympathise with a sentiment like that. But bring it up today, not so that we can start a discussion about who annoys us and why, but I think it reveals something of our attitude toward the law. I think it's part of our cultural and philosophical heritage that we tend to see the law as the kind of thing that really cramps our style. It's a restriction on our freedom. Yes, law is necessary, but given the opportunity, we'd break it. As the bumper sticker insinuates, if it weren't illegal to kill people, there probably would be a few people who wouldn't be around anymore. Now, I think we can all agree that in order to have a structured and civil society, we need to have laws to constrict our freedom, and we need to conform to the norms and laws of society. But we tend to see law and freedom in an inverse relationship. The more laws, the less freedom. Fewer laws mean more freedom. Because of this, we tend to see the law as a burden. It's a kind of functional necessity. You know, the Lord keeps me from killing the people who I really would prefer to kill, but everything goes better when I don't and when others don't either. Because there's a law. 
Well, when we examine the first reading, however, we can see that this isn't the conception of the law that the Israelites had. For them, the law was a gift from God. The law of Moses was the way that the people stayed close to God and God stayed close to his people. And there was a great deal of wisdom behind the law. And from Israel's observance of the law, other nations were to see that they were the chosen ones of God precisely because of the wisdom that was contained in their observance. And so Moses tells the Israelites, when the other nations come to know of all these laws, they will exclaim, no other people is as wise and prudent as this great nation. And indeed, what great nation is there that has its gods so near as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call him? So for the Israelites, the law of Moses wasn't understood so much as a restriction of their freedom. The law was God's teaching, his instruction on how to live in communion with him and with each other. It was the law that set Israel apart from the other nations. It was the law that made them unique. It formed part of the very foundation and identity of Israel. So you can see why it's so important that Moses tells the people not to add or subtract anything from the law. The law is as it is because it came from God. And trading away any aspects of the law was an offence to God. And it was abandoning the covenant and the uniqueness that Israel had among the nations. And let's be honest. The parts of the law that we're tempted to add are the ones that would protect what is owed to us. And the parts of the law that we would be inclined to drop are the ones that describe our debt to others. So fair enough, right? Don't mess with the system. With that in mind then, it's perhaps not surprising then that the scribes and Pharisees are so quick to jump on the disciples when they see that they're not washing their hands properly before the meal. You know, the way that all good Jews should be doing. But Jesus uses this as an important moment for teaching, and he quotes the prophet Isaiah. He says, This people honours me only with lip service, while their hearts are far from me. The worship they offer me is worthless. The doctrines they teach are only human regulations. In that one moment, Jesus hones in on the problem. The Pharisees are critiquing the disciples merely on the basis of their external actions, If you eat with unclean hands, you become unclean yourself. Instead, says Jesus, the focus must be placed on the interior of the heart. It's not on the hands. It's lip service, says Jesus, busying yourselves with the precepts of human tradition, but forgetting the essence, the commandments, the law. It's impressive, really, and... You can hear the earnestness and perhaps even the sense of frustration in Jesus' voice. Listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a man from the outside can make him unclean. It's the things that come out of a man that make him unclean. And so the Lord places the emphasis squarely on the interior. The heart is the locus of our action. The heart is from where our intentions derive. And it's the heart that needs cleansing. The washing of the hands comes a very distant second to the washing of the heart. The Pharisees really have got the wrong end of the stick on this one. Why should they be criticising the disciples for eating with unclean hands when their own hearts go unchecked? 
the minutiae of the human traditions of the law of Moses have distracted the Pharisees from the interiority that should be the focus. No, says Jesus, it's not enough to judge the external action. It's important to look to the heart. Obedience and faithfulness to the law isn't just about external conformity. It's about allowing the law to shape and mould the heart so that it too comes to be formed by the law. And this touches on the fact that the Israelites understood the law not only in terms of precepts and statutes, but also as teaching or instruction. By means of his law, the Israelites were educated in the ways of God. And in that sense, the law of Moses wasn't simply for the conformity of external action, but also for the formation and shaping of the heart. So Jesus refocuses us upon the heart as the source of our actions. But I think we need to be a little bit careful here ourselves in the way in which we understand Jesus' words. Indeed, Christ turns our attention to the question of the interiority of the law. He shines the light on the heart and on the intention. But the great temptation for us in our time, in our culture and philosophical tradition, is to think that just as long as we do something with good intentions, therefore it must be good. As long as we are sincere in whatever we do, as long as we simply follow our consciences, we're good. You know, the great English author... Uh, G.K. Chesterton, was as erudite and as pithy as any bumper sticker. (laughs) And he famously wrote, There is no one more sincere than the man chasing you down the street with an axe. (laughs) The fact that someone is sincere about killing you doesn't change the fact that he shouldn't be doing it. When Jesus places the moral focus on the heart, he's not saying that this is all that matters. No, says Jesus, you can't just throw the law away and do whatever you think is right. No, the law still has this great teaching function. The law still has this important role to play in shaping and instructing our hearts. Why? Because the heart is where evil intentions emerge. And Jesus gives quite the list. Fornication. Theft, murder, adultery, avarice, malice, deceit, indecency, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within, says Jesus, and make a man unclean. I may sincerely commit adultery, but that doesn't make it good. The law needs to temper evil intentions. The Lord needs to expose these wicked intentions for what they really are. And our hearts need to be shaped and instructed so that we can truly follow God's commands from the inside out. Well may we say that we were sincere in our sins, or that we did them with a good intention. But we must Also allow God's law to shape and form our consciences, to sculpt and mould our hearts, to be more like his. God has given us his law, not so that we would be frustrated by the precepts, but so that our consciences would be taught to love and to discover true goodness. And so God's law, it's not about putting a limit on our freedom. It's a signpost 
that points toward a purity of heart where there's no longer any space for theft, for murder, adultery, for avarice, malice or deceit. In this regard, we should be like the Israelites and thank God for the gift of his law. Because indeed, it points us toward an authentic humanity and to communion with God. God's law is not a limit to our freedom, but it's the path to a purity of heart and a purity of intention. God's law is given so that we would be led to true and authentic freedom. When the heart falls in love with what is good, then being directed toward the good isn't an external action. It's something that's directed by our desire. If the desires of your heart point you to what is truly good, then do what you want. That is true freedom. Thanks for praying with us. And may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.